You have it all in the ground, but you can't find it. Because I know my daughter plays with it all the time. Yeah. Anyway, there's the strap. (laughs) (laughs) There's the Olympic strap. (laughs) Oh, my God. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Brian, your host for this growing collection of interviews. Back in March of this year, I spoke with Emilia Cadwallader, aka Maple Staple Gun, as well as one half of Las Cosas Nostra. Emilia's journey as a performer started out at the tender age of five as a dancer. She studied photography in university, then headed off to Edinburgh, which is where she discovered street theater. She talks about spending time in Tasmania and the big influence it had on her as a performer, being surrounded by opportunities to learn and watch Circus and Street. She talks about going to Spain to study clown, where she met her future partner, Kiki, whose story you can listen to on episode 108 of this podcast, and how they cut their teeth doing street shows in beach towns. We talk about her involvement in the Edinburgh Fringe and where she, along with Hazel Anderson, Matthew Keyes, and a handful of others, have been advocating for the rights of performers in the midst of the pandemic and for the future of street theater at the Fringe. If you're not familiar with what's going on, check out the Facebook page dedicated to it called Edinburgh Fringe Street Performers and Buskers Artist-Led Feedback Group. I'll have a link to it in the episode notes. We finish up our conversation with a few great stories about performing in the Middle East and being given an Olympic medal. Enjoy! No, you can ask me whatever you want and I'll just say no comment. My agent, my, my agent advised me not to comment. Stuart Emery. That's a good way to start. I'll just say no comment. Hello, Amelia. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. It's good afternoon for you. Good morning for me. It is good afternoon. It's 2.30 here. Yeah, you're in Barcelona. Barcelona, mm-hmm. Spain. Barcelona. I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn, New York. And Brooklyn, welcome, New York. Yeah. Welcome to uh, Stories from the Pitch. There's, I have a long list of people that I've been trying to, or, you know, that we, we want to interview and then... Um, it's always thinking about trying to get uh, interviews at festivals when you when and when there's time and then there's never time. And now that we have this pandemic and we can't see each other in person, it's just kind of like it's almost opening up and in a different way to be able to interview the people I want to get. I have your other half was has already been interviewed, Kiki. Mm-hmm. Uh, I interviewed him in Kuwait, and now I'm interviewing you in my apartment, and you're in Spain. So. Um, I just, I want to get your story. Like, you know, this, so one thing is, as you know, there's not a lot of women in the world of street theater and um, you've been at it for, for a while. And I want to get kind of your story of how you got started and, and I don't know, all that kind of stuff. So what, what's, what got you started performing? What was your entry into the world? I started dancing. Oh yeah. As many young girls do. I suppose I don't want to say many young girls, but where I grew up, it was pop, you know, normal to start where'd, dancing. Where'd you grow up? So I, um, in Gippsland, about two hours southeast of Melbourne. Okay. I was born in Melbourne, and then um, moved down there with my mum because my dad lived down there, and grew up in Gippsland. And I did Scottish dancing was the first dancing I started. Really. I did my first competition at five. Wow. And by seven was in state championships. Jeez. <laughs> Scottish Highland dancing. That's now I feel like a terrible father because my son's almost five and he's done nothing. 
<laughs> yeah, but there's a pandemic. There's a pandemic. I know, I know. <laughs> My daughter hasn't been to dance class for like six months because uh, they yeah. can't have more than six kids in there. Yeah. So you yeah. Were, you so at seven you were a champion. Well, I would. Yeah. There's not a lot of people doing Scottish dancing in Australia, so I don't know if it's hard to be a champion. But wow. Yeah, I know. I look back sometimes and go, wow. And um, so I sort of was on stage from about five and then I did jazz ballet and tap dancing and then I started ballroom dancing when I was nine. Jeez. <laughs> and continued all of this until about 17. Just dancing, went, all different kind of dance. Bye. And yeah. you had it. And Did you enjoy it when you were doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like. Very much so. Yeah. It wasn't any pressure. Yeah. No, I was never made to do anything I didn't want to. Wow. I actually have thought, I've said to my parents, sometimes I think they could have pressured me a bit more mm-hmm. with some things in life. But, no, my parents were very laid back and easygoing. And yeah. So then as long as I, you're happy, we're happy philosophy. Why did you decide at 17 you were done with dancing? Other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like it's such a big part of your life to go, ah, forget it. Yeah, I think, well, you get tired of it. I was a bit run down of it, studying, and then I wanted to go do other things, like go to parties and um, <laughs> go to concerts. Yeah. Got a part-time job to pay for all those hobbies. Uh-huh. And um, I do think I was burnt out from it probably a bit. And yeah. also, you know, getting I was about to go off to university and... Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I can't tell you why I left it all behind, but I did. Yeah. And then I actually went to university and I studied photography. Oh. Um, and then after university, I went for a year for a gap year, travelling around Europe, and I stayed yeah. in Edinburgh for eight months. Wow. Yeah, and that's where I met all these people, you know, um, from Beltane. Beltane's... Um, it's like the pagan festivals they reenact there and they have okay. the society that do it and from that they have um, like heaps of fire spinning and acrobatics and um, drummers, lots of drumming, processional drumming and stuff all organised and I just met people doing that and I was like, oh, this is fun and then I started fire twirling and doing acro. And, For, so um, eight months you were in Edinburgh, what time of year was it? Um. It was nearly a year. It was like from October to September. So it was actually, yeah, more 11 months. And what year was this? This was a long time ago, 2000, 99, 2000. Wow. So that that's kind of, that where I saw my first female street performer. Who was Sharon that? Sharon Mahoney. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that looks like fun. <laughs> That looks more fun than what I'm doing here, doing like acro with these guys and some fire twirling and stuff. Really? So, so when, yeah. so when you saw Sharon, had you seen other street performers like in, in Melbourne or anything? I had, I had, but I hadn't seen a woman alone like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, walking on top of men and standing on top of them, and yeah. <laughs> I think Abby Collins would have been in in Melbourne in the the nineties. Yeah, I saw her at Tassie, at the Taste of Tassie. She was one of the first other a woman I saw working alone at the Taste of Tassie, probably in two thousand and one or two thousand and two. 
and I was roving there. So, so when so when you were in Edinburgh, just on this gap this gap year, it was mm -hmm. just a hangout. Yeah. And then oh, well, you, I was working. Oh, you're work right. You're working, but what? So I had a part time. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you choose there? What was what was their your draw to go there? Um. Well, I knew a couple of people there. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd been in London staying with my uncle and auntie and sort of didn't know what I was going to do. And then a friend called and he was like, just come up to Edinburgh. It's easier to get a job. It's a smaller city. And I just went up there and um, I knew about four people there already. Um, and then I just got a job straight away in like a coffee shop and wow. just stayed, yeah, just fell into place. Yeah. And so, I really needed some stability at that moment. I'd had a lot of stuff happen in the year before and stuff happened in my life and I definitely needed stability and maybe just knowing those people there gave it to me, I suppose. So then when you saw this, these fire spinners and all these acrobats, what was the, was it your dance background that drew you to, to that a little bit? Um, maybe. I just wanted to have a go. I just wanted to have a go and... Um, it wasn't that hard. Well, I don't want to say it wasn't hard. You know, everything you have to learn how to do, but it came quite easy to me, that sort of stuff, probably because I'd done dance all those years. Yeah. I also rode horses from when I was four to 17 as well. Wow. Sometimes I wonder, I really, I grew up in the countryside, you know. Yeah. Um, you know sometimes I look back and think riding horses, because now I, I hopped on a horse two years ago and I was just petrified. It was a race horse too. So, you know, they're just so big and tall and everything. And, um, I just couldn't believe how much fear I had when I was like five years old. I used to hop on horses and ride and gallop them and not have fear. And so I wonder if I don't want to associate your horse riding to your acrobatics and stuff or even hopping on stage. But I do think horse riding does give someone, it gives you something of taking risks because even the calmest horse can throw you off. Yeah. But, you uh, know, and also if you get thrown off the horse, you just get told to get back on. <laughs> yeah. you know you just get back on yeah you have to yeah, fall a hundred times before you're a good rider you know oh, God. <laughs> got a broken wrist get back on <laughs> just ride that thing <laughs> so you know sometimes you wonder if things like these you know I, I, since being a parent sometimes you start reflecting more on your childhood I'm looking you know I know it's just turned six and there's things happening in her life day to day that make me remember things I did when I was a kid oh yeah and, you know, and pulling together what happens as a child does affect you as an adult. Maybe all that comes together too. Yeah. Um, maybe horse riding is a bit like street shows. You get thrown off and it's like, just get out there again. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think I think any, anything, you know, because we all come, in, come at it from different directions. I think that any of your experiences uh, can contribute to, you know, your ability to, to hold a show together or do a show or go back out there and, you know, after you if you bail a show or whatever just be able to do it again i think it's just like whatever your experiences were that you had before can only add to that so it could have been for you getting thrown off of horses <laughs> you know <laughs> who knows but uh because it is what we do is the strangest thing like street performing is just really think about it it's just such a weird like just to go out into a square and just shout and get people to come watch you and then ask them to give you money at the end it's just like on the basic level of it, it's it's strange. It's not strange, but it's just like. Well, well, it's strange. Yeah, it, well, it is. You build it, and you build up these people's confidence in half an hour, really. Yeah. To give yeah. you money at the end. Yeah. Sometimes I think about it and go, "It's wild," because 
you know, really in that 40 minutes, you're out there trying to build this relationship and convince them to give you money at the end. It is. And, you know, and I'm a believer that they, I think they know subconsciously if they're going to give you money or not. Yeah. But then I think there's also a point where you can, you can convince the people that weren't going to give you money to give you money. To give you money. Yeah. 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 I think maybe for some people at the start, <clears throat> when they're watching they're like okay i get what this is i got like five bucks or i have a dollar or whatever euro and you like or then you change them to like that that euro is going to be five euro yeah that's what i think and then and then the zero becomes one or two or something um yeah it's pretty crazy that it's that we can do this hopefully it, it can continue because it just feels like it's one of those things that's kind of slipping away because of the world, just the way the world is happening. It's like mm-hmm. harder to find pitches to work and, and then everyone has a phone in their hand and they're distracted and it's a tough business. I agree. And then there's um, right-wing politicians in everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Trying and all to stuff is happening control the spaces. Yeah. yeah. Um, it'd be interesting lot. to see how we come out of the pandemic with the public spaces. Yeah. Well, they're doing something here in New York that's all it's called open culture and they have these streets that are open streets. They're like, okay, we're going to do open culture. So all the open streets are going to be available for live performances, which seems like it's great. So anyone that is a performer can actually utilize these streets and they just have to apply to get a license from the city for 20 bucks. Well, no, the reality is you need to be some kind of an organization. The idea is great, except that the execution is just horrendous. This is something that happens everywhere. It's because people in offices make decisions for people like us and they have no idea what they're talking about. And it happens everywhere. Yeah. It happens everywhere. It could happen in a city because the council goes, oh, we might want to do some busking pitches, but we don't talk to the buskers. We'll go and talk to the circus performers that have worked for Soleil and get their feedback and then set it up. And it's like they don't know. Yeah, I know. It's hard. And... I think this is something to be aware of people without going into every city of the world where stuff like this happens or happens. And I keep thinking, you know, we just, we need to be proactive. It's so hard to get us to come together, you know, united because we're all off in our little sections of the world, but something has to happen where, um, I don't know if we have a database where we all put stuff in together and then we can all access this database to show governments or councils where things work in other cities and photos and um, and to, you know, separate us from the beggars because that happens here definitely that we just get put into like beggars and protesters because mm-hmm. um, yeah. we're occupying public space. I think that's what's happening in London now is that the, mm, yeah. I think that's a big, that's a big push is because it's, it's not the street performers that are causing the problems. It's the protesters or the, the religious people. Was, that are, yeah. They said like, <laughs> I've looked at some of the complaints. Wasn't there like 60 complaints about one guy on a loudspeaker? It's like, yeah. well, he's not really a street performer. He's some guy on a loudspeaker that yeah. probably needs to some medical help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we diverted, but I want yeah, to. Yeah, we did. Want, it's okay. I want to get back to the, this in re- regards to Edinburgh and your involvement yeah. there. But but before I do that, I want to get back to your your story of left off of is uh is with Sh- seeing Sharon. Yeah. And, and was that during the fringe? <laughs> that was at the fringe because um they gave you know that that last spot on the mound used to be for like a for local fire show and stuff. 
And so yep. I was in this local fire show and Sharon was on before we went on. So I sort of was like getting ready and um, looked up and just this woman was there doing, you know, walking on the men. And <laughs> <laughs> it's so great with Sharon. Gave this big speech about how she's not, you know, that she's a professional actress and then they all gave her money. And I was like, oh, my God, they give her more money than they give this fire troop of 20. <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> and did you go talk to her? I didn't, not at all. I didn't even, yeah, no, I didn't. I um, just kept on doing my stuff in Edinburgh and then I ended up in Tasmania by that Christmas. And this is still like this 2000? Yeah, this was 2000. 2000, that was 2000. And then I was back in Australia for Christmas 2000. And then just after Christmas, I went to Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I love Tasmania. I went down there. I'd never been there. And then I met some people and friends of friends. And then they were doing the Hobart Fringe. <laughs> and there was an opportunity to do a three-week work, three workshop with um, Jack Dan, who's a Melbourne actor clown. Okay. And then we would, we'd finish with a performance in the Fringe of a clown show. And I just was like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, with three other people and Jack, and we made this show that we actually was actually I look back and I'm like, that was a really good clown show. What was it? Um, we just had crazy like little skits and scenes, and we were evil rabbits. And then we worked in this town, little um, church hall in Battery Point, Battery mm-hmm. Point, up behind where the taste is in Hobart. And they gave us that space for the fringe, and then we found this trap door in the ground in the floor. And one of the women in the course could play the piano very well. She was a musician. So we even started the show under the floor while the people came in and then like all came out of this hole, but with the piano in front of it. And, um, and then it was just sort of our crazy journey. It was pretty wacky show. I look back and I think because three of us were so new to it, you know, when new people do clown and it's just really great because. Everything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You're not thinking. And, um, we were really different characters, like, you know, our bodies and what we looked like. And Jack was just, I don't know how he did it. He was able to pull the four of us together. You use lots of clown exercises to make this little wacky show. But the best bit was this floor. It was wild when we found this, you know, trap door. That's because amazing. the audience came in, sat down, and then we had an usher and he went, oh, I just have to move the piano over here before we start and move the piano and then I think Jody came out of the floor and started playing the piano and like looked over then came down and then another person would come and then another so cool. <laughs> and another yeah. yeah and then we were able to move the the piano was on wheels and we were able to move the whole thing while Jody played the whole time and wow it was really great like I look back it was yeah and um and then there was an audition I've this finished and I was still going what do I do do I go back to Melbourne or go back to Europe or stay in Tasmania. And there was an audition for an internship with Is Theatre Limited, which was the Salamanca Theatre Company. And they were looking for like eight or 10 performers to like go on with them to do an internship for the year with training and then finish in a big performance. So I was like, oh, I'll go to that. And I got in. <laughs> that sounds like every... It sounds like it's to just me, fell in place. Yeah, it sounds like like outside of uh, the dance, which was like you were doing the dance, and 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 horse riding. The, everything in your like early adult life 
was just like happening. You just like, I'm just going to do this. And then it led to this and it led to this and led to this. Like nothing was, you weren't really planning, planning. It's just everything. No, it wasn't. Like, and then, oh, I definitely want to be a performer. It just. Kind no. Of- yeah. And I knew I enjoyed performing. Um, it made like, it definitely made me feel uncomfortable. And then I did the internship with this theater for the first year and Rick Goddard left that, who was a great teacher. He's a great director. Um, and he just, we trained over the year, we trained three times a week and we had, we did Buffon, Clown. And this was, this was like in 2001? Yeah. And, in this, and for, and how long was the, the school, training? The training yeah. It was from March to December. And then in December, we did these installation performances that were very ambitious, but they were great. And um, then, and then from that, I did continue on. Um, because I met another guy in Hobart, Hobart, Andrew Brasington, good old Braz, that anyone that's done the Taste of Tassie knows Braz. And he was doing like fire shows and stilt walking and all that sort of stuff and juggling. And he was like, I can give you some roving work. Can you stilt walk? And I was like, I suppose so. I'll try. And I could. And so I ended up doing all this roving for him. And I just got, I just worked and worked roving. And, um, and were you, we were did you fire shows with him. When you were roving? Yeah. Were you, yeah. yeah. So this was just Boys on you. Just, yeah. You were just coming up with whatever you yeah, had. Yeah. And then Braz already had characters. And then we worked on characters together. Yeah. And he had these giant flamingos. He's still got them. He's had them for like 25 years. These giant, big, furry, pink flamingos. <laughs> <laughs> that a great big gust of wind comes in you're like oh. <laughs> <laughs> um and then I'm sort of remembering but you forget so much don't you and then I met these um a group called Fluorology that were a group of jugglers from Tassie and they did like fluoro blacklight shows wow. and they're like come on you can be in our group as well and there's just lots of opportunities in Tasmania. Wow. And there's a lot of art stuff going on in Tasmania. You know, there's a lot of artists anyway. And then. You just, it's just, um, you get, just kept falling into one thing after another after another. Yeah. 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 And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And <laughs> yeah. I still remember, you know, being nervous performing, but I kept doing training with his theatre and I did any workshops I could and went to the Tasmanian Circus Festival that Tony Rook ran. And there I just went, oh, my God, who are all these people? Yeah, yeah, that would have been incredible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, oh, my gosh. And then I continued with his theatre for another year and I did, like, a program where I had to make four pieces of work and I got a mentor. It was funded and I got a mentor and I chose Jeffrey Turpin. Who's that? Jeff Turpin. No. He's a musician clown. He's always at the circus festival for Tony all the years, but um, very funny man, very eccentric. And I said to him, I want to make a circle show. Like, because um, I was roving for Braz and then I did roving at the Taste of Tasmania and all the street performers came and I was like, I want to do that. Who did so you I see that? Him, Who did you see um, that, year? that year? I think Abigail was there. Dado was there. The fire guy. Um, from, yeah, yeah from, the from Canadian Canada? guy. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I knew Popeye because uh-huh. it was Rudy and Mark. They were there. And who else was there? There was a Charlie Chaplin guy that but he lived in, he was from New Zealand but was living in Tasmania and he did Charlie Chaplin like sort of statue but moving about. 
that's all I can remember. Oh, Justin Sane was there, or maybe he was there the next year. Right. Or two years that's later. Powerful acts for you to see. I mean, that's like, <laughs> there's some really strong performers. Yeah, so I got this funding and. So did that inspire you? To make a show. Well, I talked to Jeffrey Turf and then I was like, I want to make a street show. And his advice was like, I should learn a skill. He said it's really hard to make a street show without a skill was his advice, which is probably good advice. Yeah. But what, what made you think you wanted to make a circle show, a street show? You know what? I, I still can't work out exactly what it was or why it was I just remember watching it going that just looks so good they're doing what they want they don't have a director telling them what to do they make money at the end Mm -hmm. they all look really happy yeah (laughs) when they come off from the show yeah (laughs) I haven't seen anyone bail a show in the snow and sleet yet (laughs) two people (laughs) (laughs) and then I, I actually made a statue I did statue before the before you did the circle show yeah that was something else that someone i know that had done statue and went on to do circle shows and he's very good at he's actually in spain now still performing and he doesn't do circle shows he does like theater produced very overproduced not overproduced but you know fully produced shows now Mm -hmm. and he said one of his feedback was that he learned so much from statue about people and reactions that he found it really helped for the circle show. Hmm. And he said, but all the circle shows are going to look down on you. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes a statue makes more money than a circle show too. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? Uh (laughs) Sure they did. So Um, then then you built this this show with with your mentor. Statue. Yeah, well, he sort of just, in the end, he was more, he didn't help with the show so much, but he sort of helped with advice about performing and how to create and go about things. So what was and the show? I made this, what was the show? I just made this statue character and it was a statue character um, and it was never, I never wanted to be, the other thing that Hobart has is a really good market every Saturday, Salamanca Market. Mm-hmm. And you can busk there every weekend. So if you live in Tassie, you can actually be working yeah. every weekend. Yeah. So I ran it in there for months and months. And it was just sort of, uh, um, I can sew quite well. So it was an elaborate costume. And then, but I also felt I never like moved when they gave me money. I never mm-hmm. wanted to be like that thing. It was more like trying to engage people to have an exchange yeah. Of like almost, you know, because you can communicate without speaking and yeah. it just worked. I can't tell you exactly what I did. It was more just responding to impulses of the people in front of me or walking by. Um, and I did go to Europe and took that statue. Wow. Where but I was just really frustrated. I just, I did it a little bit in Edinburgh, um, but I just, I was just frustrated. I wanted to do a circle show. Yeah, why didn't why didn't you yeah, what what was holding you back? I mean, when you were doing these other performances, were you talking much when you were doing the, the No, no, I didn't talk. Except yeah. when people were really mean and I'd be like, come here and then go, You're an effing bastard. Can you just F off and leave me alone? No one thinks it's funny statue. what you're doing. Yeah. And they just wow. go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just I just say something really rude and mean to them. Yeah. Yeah, like other people are trying to watch. 
yeah. a hole? Can you just yeah. f off? <laughs> yeah. So, so then, when did you finally decide to do this your circle show? Then, the, what what was the the what what tipped you over the edge? Where you were like, I don't need to be a statue. I can do my own, hold my own crowd. I still, I don't think I'm still ready. I was still doing you know other bits and pieces with other people, and then um. I came to Spain to study for three months with Eric de Bont to study clown, which yeah. is where I met Kiki. Mm -hmm. And then when we were at the school, there was opportunities to do, you know, because Spain just has such so many outdoor events. Spanish people are just in the street all the time yeah. that suddenly I met him. We were at this school in Ibiza doing theatre and then we met this guy. Oh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. He's a really old school street performer. He's German, Hugo. He lives in Ibiza though. And... Um, he had some um, spots to do shows and he was like, you want to do something together? And I was like, okay, because <laughs> I was doing hula hoops and juggling and all that stuff as well. And um, we where'd did some learn, stuff there. To skills? Circus Fest. Okay. Tasmanian Circus Festival and then in Hobart Juggling Club twice a week or three times a week and Andrew Braslington always runs stuff in Hobart and there's heaps of circus workshops in Hobart. Or Tassie, yeah. heaps. Well, there's some. If you look for them, because there's people down there. They've got the youth circus, and Tony Rook has done so much down there that you know nearly every Tasmanian's been to a circus festival. Right. So it's just now kids. Pick up those skills. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd already started training hula hoop. Like, going, I want to do hula hooping and done proper workshops. And um, you know, by the time I got to Ibiza, I was hula hooping quite well. Not really well, but. Yeah, I was doing like four hoop splits and like one on the foot and headstand and stuff. So, oh, wow. and then just started having like these little opportunities again come. Do you want to come and do this? You've got 25 minutes to do something here or there and friends of friends and okay, let's just do it. And I remember doing it and being nervous, but then you see the people having a good time and you sort of feel like they're family, don't you? Yeah. And this was in on the same level. Yeah. So you just get all these little opportunities in Spain. Yeah. And then, and then were you, were you, uh, could you speak Spanish at that point? No, nah. I thought I could, but I couldn't. Uh -huh. <laughs> Probably what an Australian thinks is, you know, I can speak right. a bit of Spanish, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up, you're know, going back and forth from Australia and Spain a bit. And I was coming back to Australia and working with another woman in a duo we had with roving gigs and it was all character based. And then I decided to just come back to Spain and stay. And then it was summer here and Kiki and I, I was like, let's just go to the beaches. We were down in Seville. So under Seville is all the beach towns. And I was like, there's people everywhere and no one doing street shows. So we just <laughs> made a show and started doing it and drove beach town to beach town. Wow. So your first shows were just, it was you and Kiki together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what did that show look like? Oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. I think we used to um, have a double juggling match, you know. We used to do, like, seven clubs passing and stuff. Wow. Bit of hula hoops. We had heaps of club passing. We had quite a funny, like, comic club routine and um, we don't do any of that anymore. <laughs> you know, we haven't touched clubs for, like, 15 years or something. Right. And we did ball bouncing routines together. We had a ball bouncing juggling wow. together. Yeah, and then those first shows we were trying because we'd both just done this three months in the clown school. We were really trying to incorporate sort of clowny stuff into the show all the time, which is hard in the street too. 
it's not impossible. The details just get lost by the audience. Yeah. What, so, so you're doing these shows in, on the beaches. No one else yeah. is doing shows there. You, you've basically opened up a pitch that doesn't exist. Yeah, and we just went town to town. Yeah. There was one town where there were buskers, yeah. Okay. And uh, was it a, a talking show or a silent show? Uh, yeah, we talked. Kiki talked and I talked. Kiki talked a lot. And, uh, and originally, originally we put a bomb on Kiki's head. Put a bomb on his head? Did you, know, you remember a bomb? Yeah. Did you know how he explodes a bomb at the end of the show? Originally the bomb was in the middle of the show and it went on his head and I got gave like water pistol, big this water you know, super soaker to a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid would try to put the bomb out while it was on Kiki's head <laughs> with me like directing the kid. He'd balance it on his head. He'd balance the ball on his head. I'm remembering. It just didn't really work. You know, the yeah. kid would just get excited then all the other kids would run out of the crowd and you'd end up with like 50 kids on the stage uh, yeah. pitch or screaming and Kiki would be all wet for the rest of the show. Yeah, well, I figured that was part of the fun <laughs> of it is he just gets boarded. Well, it's fun for the other person but not for the person. <laughs> yeah. Wet. So and this is like early 2000s you guys were doing this? Yeah, 2003, 2004. Wow. That's crazy. You just kind of decided to do these shows where there was, just because you said there was people. Yeah, well, the, you know, the Spanish beaches just fill up and Spanish are in the street. Yeah. You can't start a show till like nine at night. That's your first show is like nine o'clock at night when they all come out after dinner or were come out to have dinner. Were you using amplification? Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. And then the, and you mm -hmm. didn't get stopped or anything. No, Kiki just would go and talk to people and go, oh, we want to do this and do that. And they'd be like, how much? And he'd be like, no, it's free. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And he'd talk to the gypsies selling the balloons. And Kiki's very good at going and, you know, talking to people. Yeah, wow. And they're like, yeah. And then we did go to one town and there was a lineup. And we actually went over and I said, oh, they look like street performers. And we went over and talked to them and asked because there was this spot that looked like the really good pitch. And they're like, no, 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 we don't know anything. No, no, no. They told us nothing. So we were like, okay, let's do a show. And we did a show. And at the end, they were all like, because <laughs> <laughs> they do a draw and they just lied to us. <laughs> well, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you ever go back there again? Yeah, we know them all. Yeah, okay. I know all of them now. Yeah. Um, but it's just funny too when you do turn up to a spot that standoffish, which happens everywhere into the world to an extent, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, here this in is my York, territory. Yeah, I found it like when I went to Amsterdam for the first time. It was so refreshing because I was just welcomed by everybody there. They're like, "Oh, yeah, this is how it works. Let's show up at this time." And I'm like, "Wow!" I just used to being here in New York, and it was just like so. It's like annoying, like the break dancers and. Mostly the break dancers just made it a problem, but going to Amsterdam yeah. was like so refreshing. But yeah, I guess in other places you get a bit of that, like, this is my pitch. This is, you know, we've been here for a long time and this is how it works and you have to earn your way into it. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like that. I mean, we're, we're not that large of a community that you can't just welcome new people in and say, yeah, here, come do a show. Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I feel, I don't know. <laughs> 
and maybe I'm a bit trying to, I think we should be more welcoming sometimes because I've also had um, in Melbourne it happened to me and I was quite surprised because I hadn't been in Melbourne in years and suddenly there was this standoffish because we have to protect the pitch in Melbourne and it was like, well, I was born here, my parents live here, like my whole family's here and, yeah, the, it was just full on. It was just like, oh, it was just impossible. It was when you needed the reference of someone to be able to perform or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that might not reflect what's happening now or what it did 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I do find myself getting protective of a pitch as well. Yeah. Like so where? I must admit I've done it. Oh, nowhere particular. It's more, I suppose, at festivals I have that we know that we go to busk at. Um, and I do, it's... I don't know. I'm not proud of the feeling, but that feeling of when, I don't know, I just feel like oh, I really waited, like went to these beaches and did these little shows and these little shows and I feel like I did like these two years of like getting experience before rocking up, you know, to a worked in good pitch. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, I must admit I do have these you know, tangs of like when People turn up, I'm like, anyone can be in the draw because I always say that anyone can be. But um, you, there's so many people that there's a festival to, every year here in Spain and last time we went, it's four days and I got one show in four days. Yeah. Because there's so many people at the draw. But then you see the shows and people just bail them all or they don't do them. Yeah. You know, and this is when I start going, oh, I would have done that show, I would have finished it. And yeah. Yeah, it's about the money too, but it's not just the money. I think it's something we should be questioning. I don't think we can ever say to anyone you can't perform. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to say I am guilty sometimes of feeling like, oh. Yeah, I know what you mean. And no. I, I was, uh, I talked to Pete, uh, Pete Anderson. We had a similar conversation about when, like he, he wasn't ready to work Covent Garden for a while. He just didn't think he was ready to, like you know it's like i'm not going to work there yet i'm not ready yet and and having that awareness or not having that awareness of like well this is the main pitch and i don't want to you know waste it so you know work somewhere else for a while before you get there but then some people either they work some i think what pete was saying like he worked somewhere else for way longer than he needed to to work covent garden you know and and then some people just jump on a pitch too early and like you're saying, it's like, man, I could have done more shows and made better money if these younger performers or these new performers just worked somewhere else for yeah a little longer so that they're not bailing the show. They're not wasting it. Especially if it's one show in four days. Yeah, like, no, I know. Really? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then, I don't know, there's those questions of like, yeah, because it lowers the standard and then you know, this festival a lot of producers come to and if they see the square with people just not having a show and bailing, like, you know, and then we keep that draw open access. Like people turn up and they've got three balls and a dog, like literally. Yeah. Yeah. And we let them in the draw because unless the festival, because the festival lets us do Renegade, it's a theatre festival that has, you know, program stuff because I, you know, they've said to us, oh, well, you could take responsibility and say some people can't be in the drawer. And it's like, no, only you can do that. Yeah. Another yeah, performer can't. <laughs> yeah, you make a good point because it is, it is, there's that thing of, I remember doing the festival in, in Auckland years ago and 
there was construction on the streets and stuff and it was just really hard and some of the pitches weren't like real pitches and we were all questioning like should we be doing this show if people are walking past and seeing a performer fail so badly because of the construction noise or it's not a proper pitch or whatever it is doesn't it look bad for the festival like aren't mm -hmm. people gonna you know it's 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 a hard like what's the balance there you know because that year we i did it it was it was like construction all over the city and so the pitches weren't where the normal pitches were most of them and so everyone was really struggling and it just it felt like this doesn't look good like the people are walking yeah. past going oh this is the busker festival this is terrible yeah you know it's like well maybe you should cancel that pitch or yeah i don't know it's a, it's tough balance like do you keep it going just because you wouldn't need to keep it going or do you change it so that it looks better for the you know for the punters and and, and, yeah. and in the city and everything like i i i helped organize this festival in coney island years ago and um it's so frustrating because they they asked me to help because they didn't know anything about street performing but it was it was a busker festival and they, didn't, they were like, oh, well, you're a street performer. Can we hire you to help? Because they knew they're, they're calling it a busker festival, but they don't have any idea about what a busker festival actually is. And it just, but I go ahead. I was going to say, I'm sure this happens all the time, though. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you're saying when, when it's uh, who, who is making the decisions. Yeah. You know, like, you know, is the people from Cirque are the ones who are deciding how to organize something or do you ask the street performers you know to organize it but yeah it's frustrating because for that festival it didn't look good because they didn't have enough activations on the street they didn't put the pitches mm -hmm. where i'd asked them to put them um and so it looked and then i heard later on that some council member said this looks terrible like we're not so they asked it. for your advice you gave it and then they disregarded it they disregarded part of it yeah well this happened yeah this happened in edinburgh three years ago when they put the stages on the pitches. Right. They Let's got performers to, to go to Edinburgh, give feedback, and then yeah. they just did it anyway. So um, before we get, I, 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 we're, gonna, we're gonna touch on that, but um, I just wanna get, uh, I wanna ask you, so you did, you did, um, you were just working these beaches with Kiki for a couple of years and yeah. then you went to Melbourne and tried to work the pitch in Melbourne. Is that, was that your leap? No, no, no. Um, Melbourne I haven't been to for years. Well, I go back there because my family's there, but I've been really separated from Melbourne. Um, I decided I needed to make a choice, but with Australia or Europe. And so I just decided Europe and focused on here. And then, um, you know, we had gigs where we were living in Seville and we were doing the show and the show just, and we could busk in Seville then. Wow. At Christmas time, you know, sometimes you could busk every day for a month. Wow. And Kiki was a machine. He would be like three shows some nights there at Christmas. Just bang, so bang, you, bang, you bang, bang. you were doing solo and you, and you were doing duo? We were doing duo and then he started doing solo and then he started doing more solo with the sense that, because it was... um. You know, he's doing three or four shows a day most days. Had a couple of great Christmases there. And then um, I did more like applying for festivals and trying. I did all our promo and web page. And so we sort of went, okay, you go and do that. And I'll focus on this, you know, to get work in the festivals and gigs and stuff like that. Yeah. And so sometimes we'd do the duo or he'd do the solo. It would just mix up. And then... I still wanted to do a solo, but I just hadn't. I didn't do it, you know, kept sitting on it. And then, um, yeah, I eventually made a solo. 
what year? But was I it? think um, I think it was. I counted it. What year is it now? Two thousand twenty-one. I think it was two thousand and ten. Uh-huh. But then I'd worked so much with Kiki, and we started doing festivals in Europe. That when I did my like first shows with the solo, they were already okay. If that yeah, makes you, sense. You, you, yeah. Well, you had years of experience street performing. Yeah. And so then just not relying on a partner is just relying on yeah. yourself. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually easier, I think. <laughs> sometimes, well, yeah. most of the time, it's easier to street perform alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did like a summer bus. Is your Mabel Stapleton character? That's where. That's. Yeah. At first, I didn't have her. Um, but it was already getting formed. I was already using blue and stuff. And then I did that summer, um, sort of trying, had all these ideas. So I was swapping and changing ideas and finales all the time. I think my first finale, I like stood on top of, you know, Kiki's table, not mine. And then I think I hula hoop like on what fire hoop on my legs while juggling fire or something. That's so dumb, isn't cool. it? It's sort of cool, but it's like yeah. so dirty and stinky and fire yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And then, yeah, after those three or four months busking with that, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down yeah. and write the show. Okay. And I just made the character. And the truth is that Maple Staple Gun, I sat down one day and I just did the whole thing. Character, looked into it, made the name, designed the costume. Oh, one day. Went for yeah. it. The fireman. Boom, 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 boom. Wow. Um, again, during those years with East Theatre Limited and the training, we did division. We were always making work, learning to write. How do you make a show? Sure. You, yeah, you'd you be like, okay, come back on Friday and you have to do a five-minute show about Cupid or love, you know, so we're right. always, you know, being. So I think I have that skill to be able to go, okay, I need to make something. Just sit down and do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you you guys the, so you primarily just worked Europe with with yeah. with the duo and then you, and you each solo shows. Yeah. yeah. And it, was it was it straight up busking or was it also festivals at that time? Both, both. Okay. Yeah. And then um, with the solo show with Maple, like I sent out to the festivals I'd already done the duo at, and they took me on. And yeah, I think like when I started, so it was ten. 12 years ago, there was definitely a lot less women. Yeah. Doing a hula hoop finale. Yeah, right. You're one of the first. I just, yeah, I just got, um, I don't want to say I was one of the first at all. There was, you know, people doing that for a long time. And um, I think one of the biggest mistakes young women make is to say that there's been no women before them. Right. I, I hear it a lot. And um, I hear it in the clowning world too. There are less women, yeah. but there has been women. Yeah. There's always been women doing street theatre. Sure. But if yeah. you don't go looking for them, they're not going to come, are they? Like, um, but, you know, I just had a guy call me last week for a festival in Spain here in a month and he was like, I got recommended with my street show because he wanted a street show with female and then he was like, oh, yeah, great, 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 okay, da, da, da. And then he's like looked at my video and going, oh, I can't get you. I've got three hula hoopers already in the festival. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, that never happened like 12 years ago, really. Yeah. Well, Tamar was around and Lisa Lottie was doing hula hoops. And Abigail, I've never crossed with Abigail. She was like this sort of, don't want to say leaving the scene, she's never left the scene, but, you know, she wasn't on that festival festival circuit yeah. when I got there. Um, so did you, did you ever work then 
I mean, you must at some point work Melbourne or Australia. No, I've never done. I've never done a solo show in South Bank or a duo show. Nowhere. I've, do, I've worked in Australia. I've worked a lot in Australia. Not that on the street. No, usually because when I'm in Melbourne, I'm not in Melbourne. I'm usually a couple of hours away at my parents. Uh-huh. If I am in Melbourne, it's because I'm up there for a family event. And when I'm there, it's the middle of summer. Did and... you work in Melbourne? Yeah, in the Commonwealth Games, he did shows there. Yeah, I remember him telling me that he was his English was terrible. and. But I was doing statue and it was the Commonwealth Games and I was raking it in with statue. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because oh. yeah, there were so many street performers, they were only getting one show a day. Yeah, and then I had this spot down between South Bank and where the Commonwealth Games were and sometimes, like, in an hour, they said 10,000 people were coming past. Wow, yeah. <laughs> That's really? why I was like, sometimes statues can make more than... Yeah, I thought you were joking. Maybe you, stood there, maybe you stood there a longer time, but you still, like, as a street performer, you come and do the drawer and sometimes you're there the whole day anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just sitting around waiting for your show. A um, couple of things, you're, outside of being, uh, you know, doing street theatre and everything, you're kind of a, an organiser. Uh, you've helped out with... Um, well, you're involved with Edinburgh as, a, I guess, a consultant. What, what would you call yourself? Um, <laughs> maybe a consultant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit. Um, so a couple of, well, we all know Andy Meldrum. Most yep. people have heard of Andy Meldrum. Yeah. Um, and Street events coordinator. They've been to Edinburgh in the last 14 years, I think. Definitely yep. they know him. So Andy was saying for years, he was getting up before the draw at Edinburgh and going, you guys need to get organised. Sorry, I'm not going to do a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Andy never watches this. But he would. He'd be like, one day someone in an office is going to make these decisions for you guys if you don't get together and do something. Everybody would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah. got their sunglasses on, they're smoking a cigarette, <laughs> tired, hungover. <laughs> And then um, he'd been saying this and at that stage the marketing department of Edinburgh was the boss of the street events, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of weird because, you know, they're all about the sponsorship and putting the banners on everything and they became the boss of us. Um, and then the councils, there's conflicts with the council. Okay, so there's conflicts from the street performers, street events, which is the whole embodiment of the mound and the Royal Mile that the Fringe Society organised that Andy is the boss of street events. Marketing was the boss of Andy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, you know, there's all these interested parties in the Royal Mile, the shop ten- the shopkeepers, the restaurants, street performers, the council, yep. the people that live there yep. and have to live with you know, 12 mm-hmm. street shows outside their window every day. Yeah. And also then the interested parties of the buskers, street performers, hair braiders, market stalls, the people that do the paintings. Like um, before I sort of got more involved, I just didn't realise how many interested parties there were on this public property. Yeah. And so he'd sort of been saying that for years and small changes came and went, but nothing really big. And then, you know, we turned up in 2018 and there was a stage on West Parliament Square and bleachers. I don't know if you ever saw photos of the whole thing. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So um, for people that haven't been to Edinburgh, 
West Parliament Square is some people would say the best pitch in the world. I remember seeing you there years ago, years That's ago, like sunny afternoon. Yeah. You had everyone sat down, hundreds of people sat down. You're a ground show. Yeah. I don't think you even had a mic on that day. Mm, they could all hear yeah, you. Yeah, I don't think we could use a mic back then. Um, yeah, because the court chambers are in front of that pitch. That's the mic problem. So when they're, like, dealing with, like, cases of homicide and stuff like that, they've got us harping on a microphone. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get Yeah. I can't hear you. <laughs> you got a baby growing out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hands out of your pockets before you cut, sir. <laughs> we know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this is what Border Brown, this happened and there was other changes made. Um, and, you know, the performers were just livid. They were just like, how could they do that to us? Part of the problem was performers did go up as consultants. Pete Anderson was one and Dave Southern. And they told them not to do it and then it was done anyway. And it was, the stage was, we weren't allowed to use it. It had a sound system on it, but it wasn't for the street performers. It was for the people in the fringe program, in the indoor spaces that could come and use it to, you know, publicise their show. Right. Yeah. And so it was controversial. Equity came to us as well. Equity approached us and said, we've heard this is happening. We're worried about the rights of the street performers. Wow. As far as equity cares, we, the street performers were there first. Street uh -huh. performers were there before street events, before the fringe and everything. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is like that argument. Yeah. And so me, or Andy organised meetings, but they, they, he needed people to go to the meetings. And so sort of Hazel and I took on the role. There was sort of a vote of some sort, I suppose, at the draw. You know, what votes are like at the draw. Yeah. They're pretty. <laughs> my favourite thing at the draw is when someone needs to make an announcement. Yeah. That was my favourite. <laughs> I need to make an announcement. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Something about it was that it's like I couldn't wait for someone to say they need to make an announcement. <laughs> Or when people get banned or you're sorting out stuff. So yeah. Hazel and I went to the meetings. Dave Southern came along as well. And who else came? Yeah, Hazel Anderson. And it was sort of great, the first meetings, because when Hazel and I went in, they just always looked really surprised. <laughs> like we were in the wrong room or something. Yeah. Because, you know, they're just sort of expecting, I don't know, like, like some tattoos and mohawks yeah. or, yeah. yeah. And that first year we did these meetings and we talked to equity and, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. Right. <laughs> but equity were very helpful and then we decided we'd go back into 2019 and we should, there were so many things we, sh we needed to do, we felt, as an entity, um, but also we can't do anything unless everyone in the community says we can. Right. Because, you know, street performers, we're not about having a boss or a leader, really. Yeah. So we're always very cautious. Hazel, more than me, she's like, we always have to come back to the community and say, do you guys want this? Mm -hmm. um, and then, so in 2019, we started the agenda and we just wrote to them and said, we think we need to do a charter, a written charter between the street performers and the Fringe Society. 
because nothing's ever been in writing. So all these arguments come up about the spaces, the amps, where you can perform, why you can perform, why is the fringe in charge of the time slots? You know, there's always this constant sort of conflict. And, um, you know, I, I do respect the people performing. You know, there's so many great performers that set up Edinburgh so I could go and perform there today. You know, mm -hmm. I, I never want to diminish that, but there's never been anything in writing. Right. And if you're going to deal with councils and stuff like that, they need something. So we wanted to get a charter, um, you know, something simple, seven points. Yeah. No public space that's used as for the street performers. Pictures can be changed without consultation to the performers, like really making it sort of clear, protect the spaces. And we, we just asked Shona, we just explained the situation of the stage. We said, you've turned the best pitch into the world to the most unworkable pitch in the world, like we, which was true. Yeah, We put it clear like that. Yeah. And we said to her, as an act of good faith, we're requesting you remove the stage. And she said, okay. Boom, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she said, look, the charter's going to take longer. Things like this can't happen overnight. And that was at the end of 2019. We left Edinburgh Fringe. We found um, Shona as the CEO. Um, we've had meetings with her. There's an open communication. Um, there's been a big um, redundancy in the last six months there, obviously, with the pandemic. So things have shifted a bit. Um, but we also decided um, what was happening was like Ollie was head of marketing and he was going to the council meetings talking for the street performers. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So we ended up with like three guys that live in Edinburgh that have circle shows agreeing that they'd start going to the council meetings with the Fringe that. Society, you know, to speak on our behalf and also to see if we were being represented in the council meetings. Right. So who, who are those performers? That, are... um, that was going to be Jamie, Matt, and Tom. I don't know if you know any of them. Tom Rugcart, Tom Smith is an Edinburgh guy that does like a fire show and stuff. He always comes to the draw, picks the first shows, does two in the morning, and then sort of gets out of there. Okay. But he's Edinburgh local, and his partner works for the Fringe as well. Um, Matthew Keys, who's actually involved at the moment he's talking to the fringe he's an english guy that lives he's a magician that lives in edinburgh okay and jamie is another he has a unicycle show and lives in edinburgh because part of it was like we need people in edinburgh yeah for sure you know we can't we can do a bit from barcelona and hazel's you know, in southern england but you can't no you the need council needs there. to see faces yeah and also we felt that we were getting dismissed all the time because we don't have faces yeah the council was just like street performers can't come in here right because some of them had just been pissed off by a street performer or abused by a street performer and they just shut the doors and just like wow. don't want to know anything so yeah. we spent that time you're reaching out to them writing letters trying to like start a new conversation and then so we left 2019 talking to equity about starting the edinburgh Edinburgh Fringe Street Performer Circle Show Network. Wow. Because Equity said, because at first we were just like, okay, you're going to represent all the, everyone in street events. And then Equity's like, you can't. We yeah. had the musicians, we had everyone coming up to us and we were like, we yeah. can't. You know, you, you know, we're in favour of everything, but also we're a bit well, we're not professionals at this. We sort of stumble our way through a bit, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think we're good communicators and we're good at getting the letters done and Hazel and I make a good team as well because I tend to trust everyone straight away and she doesn't trust people. So, you know, we balance each other yeah. out. Yeah. You know, I come out of a meeting going, oh, he's really nice. And she's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> he was just telling us what we wanted to hear. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Then the pandemic happened, you know, a year ago, we were chatting to the fringe, we were chatting to equity. It was, we were trying to, we wanted to like, it was to work in 2020 at the fringe um, and try to set up this network that equity now has for like, they have a network, a burlesque network, magicians network, vaudeville network, because they found the equity, um, you yeah, know, it's so hard to represent everyone. Yeah. So it was like you can make these networks and that way you don't have to have regular meetings, but you can form a body without having hierarchy. You're just a group of people with the same agenda. Yeah, because everyone and has that's something to... Yeah, so it's yeah. Hard, it'd be hard to manage everybody. So they're, you're kind of autonomous within their organisation. Yeah. Right. And then you get their support, but also you can present to the council that we're the network of the circle shows. Got it. Yeah. Wow. So all that started happening and then the pandemic came and everything just fell off the cliff and, yeah, but it, it's, I, I said to Brian earlier, like, this is weird now, I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I just talked to the other camera. Um, I was saying to Brian earlier that um, Edinburgh reached out to us a couple of weeks ago because they don't know what to do either now. They're in a really rough position. They've lost a lot of funding. They've had to do huge redundancies. They've cut the street arts. Yeah. They've got a really good person on board that wants to save it and probably will, but um, we feel, Hazel and I just put a thing on Facebook this morning because from this meeting we're asking the community if they want us, me, Hazel, Tom and Matt, to keep sort of representing. Mm -hmm. It's not so much representing as it's been the middleman between a dialogue between the wider community of street performers and the fringe but we're actually feeling like it could be an opportunity if we can be proactive as a community, we can help direct the shape of the future fringe. Right. Which is what the fringe originally was, performers. Just turning up. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know if we've been too ambitious with what we're feeling, but we feel like if we don't all come in now and be proactive, it might go off to a third party, which is yeah. what they've suggested, selling, giving it to a third party to come in and manage us. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> a, that's a problem. It's like you got to jump on it and be aggressive with it because that's what will happen is someone else will decide, make decisions that aren't, that don't work for street performers. Yeah. Imagine so. if they get a third party agency to come up and do the draw. Imagine their first draw. <laughs> I know. It'd be, it'd, it'd be funny, sort of. <laughs> yeah, and sad. They wouldn't know what they were getting themselves into. No, no. I can remember I, I interviewed uh, Andy for the podcast when we were in Sharjah. Um, and uh, because I, cause we don't have a lot of, um, there's like, I think um, there's only been a handful of organizers that have been interviewed for the podcast. And I, just, I was with Andy there and I thought, well, this would be great because he's had to deal with street performers on you know, in, on these gigs and also especially in Edinburgh. And um, I was telling him, I remember like the year before he started, <clears throat> it was, I forget who it was that was, that was running the draw and everything. And, and Gareth made her cry. And then, and then when he took over, everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? And I remember he, he was saying that like he had posted some stuff on Facebook and he got like attacked right away. And he's like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> but then how he kind of endeared himself to us because he was like, 
I want to help you guys. You know, he really turned it around where he became like our hero. <laughs> but, yeah. First, but yeah, I can't imagine like, like going into it, he had some awareness, a little bit of awareness of not a lot, but a little bit of what the street culture was. But imagine like a third party that just doesn't even think what our needs are. And just getting paid to manage yeah. us. Yeah. When essentially one of the hardest things for people to understand is that we don't need anything. Yeah, I know. You know, there, there's, there's heaps of street theatre in Europe. Everyone knows it. You know, I know it. I live here. It's great. But at the moment, it's theatre in the street. It's not street theatre. Uh-huh. You know, people have eight-hour set-up times for their rigs and this and speakers and this. And it's great. I love it all. But sometimes, you know, I'll have a gig and they're like, but what do you need? And I'm like, just nothing. Yeah. But what do you need? Nothing. Yeah. And they can't deal with it. I turn up, there's like 300 yeah. chairs and a stage with a backdrop and everything. And it's I like, know. for this show, I need to be on the ground with nothing. And, yeah. this is and like- you know, they're like, yeah, but my cousin's got the contract on the, you yeah, know, exactly. firing out the equipment. <laughs> This is when I, when I was helping out with the, the Busker Festival here in Coney Island a few years ago. Uh, they had hired stage managers. They got these uh, uh, sound technicians. Like there was like a DJ on one pitch and then like these sound guys on another pitch, which wasn't terrible. But, but they're going, so they're like, so this is Brian. Brian's going to be, uh, you know, in charge of the street performers. Um, just let the stage managers know what, what you need. I go, nothing. Like, what do you mean? Like, we don't need, I don't need, we don't need stage managers. Like they'll show up and they'll do their shows and the times they're supposed to do their shows because mm-hmm. they know that that's what they have to do. Like, you don't need stage managers. I don't need like this giant sound system that you've hired plus like four sound people to run it. Like just, you know, this is like way at, like she'd already, the woman who had hired me to do it, she'd already booked all this stuff. I'm like, why did you, you're spending all this money on this stuff that we don't need. All we mm-hmm. need is a, a, a powered system with like two inputs. And the street performers will plug in their stuff and run the sound themselves. You know, I mean, there were nice sound systems, but really, like you said, we don't need anything. Mm-hmm. We didn't need, I didn't need stage managers running around doing anything. We didn't need like these, they had, they had these, uh, these stupid, like it was a schedule on, there was only two pitches. There was a schedule on the pitch, but it, it was the kind of thing that was like, just wind would blow it over constantly. So it just, <laughs> This is a yeah. stupid thing that just kept getting blown over. I'm like, we don't need that. Like, yeah. it's so annoying. But yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 it is. It's hard for. I think it happens more as a woman too, personally too. Yeah, like with gigs, like with paid gigs, because they're just like, but what do you mean you don't have anything? But and then one guy called me once for a gig here, and he's like, how many people do you need to help you unload? And I'm like, I've got nothing. I've got a suitcase. Because they were putting the sound on that. I was like, I've got, you know, a carry-on, mm-hmm. my table that weighs four and a half kilos, and I've got hula hoops. And he was like, oh, okay. And then, like, three guys came to meet me in the van. I'm like, I really have nothing. And they're just, he's yeah. like, but, you don't, but where's your stuff? And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Don't worry. It's like it out there. You'll see. I got it all. Yeah. This is just reminding me when you're talking about your stuff and then you're talking about how you did a bounce juggling Show, uh, routine with Kiki and he was telling me about you guys were carrying around this like massive piece of marble that, yeah. weighed, like... that was in the street show yes yeah and it was like this huge oh, piece heavy piece of marble that you yeah. carry around until you guys realized we don't need this that I used to balance on my feet upside down and he would be on a rollerball uh, structure and ball bounce five balls onto it <laughs> you didn't say that wow <laughs> 
So. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. Like, it was a cool finale. Yeah, for sure. And no one was yeah. doing it. but And I, we probably got booked because of it too. But, oh, my gosh, I look back and just, you know, sometimes in airports and stuff, they'd just be like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. How heavy was it? It wasn't that heavy. It was like seven kilos. Oh, okay. He made it sound like it was this massive, heavy piece of marble that you'd have to carry around. It was me on my feet upside down. It wasn't him. Yeah, yeah. And then originally I'd be on a headstand and then I was like, I can't do it. And so I'd do a shoulder stand because it was like, this is... (laughs) That's why no one else was doing it. (laughs) You don't need to. I should go into the archives for some of that footage. Yeah. Amazing. When I was young and flexible. Um, and one of the things I want to talk about as far as being an organ- organizer or organized is uh, is your involvement with uh, Lanshut. Oh, um, I know you guys were like one of the first acts that were booked there and you really helped kind of make it into a proper festival. Those first years? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's because Martin's just open to feedback. Yeah. You know, and Martin. You and you had the knowledge. Yeah, well, definitely. There was, you know, there's other performers there that first year. The first year was wasn't a good year. I know. Like, yeah. What are, like what you were talking about in Auckland? Should we really be doing this? Yeah. And um, people just had never seen it before. They didn't know what it was. It was really cold. Yeah. Um, but Martin just had that drive. He wanted to bring the festival to his town, and he um, he he's always been great. You know, those first years would just go, this isn't going to work, and you'd just say, okay, and then tell the council. He'd just change things. Wow, yeah. And he's like, and if people complained about the changes, he's, he's like, you have to walk 200 metres, like, you know, get a life. He's a great organiser rather than go, oh, the people, they won't know where to walk to. You know how your organisers will go, we can't move 50 metres that way. Oh. Yeah, there's no <laughs> way. Can, that's not possible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But we're putting the audience in the sun and you in the shade. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he just... Yeah, he just always asked for advice and he just yeah. always took the advice. And the thing about Martin, he's always, he just, um, he's a bit of a, he is a perfectionist. Yeah. You know, he used to be a sushi, used to do sushi. I think you're going to be a sushi chef. You have to be perfectionist. I didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. And um, he just endeavoured to, he wanted it to be you know, he goes to other festivals, sees the mistakes they make, and then really prides himself on not doing the same mistakes. Yeah. And he's just full of integrity in that way. And, you know, the festival you've been to, Lanshut, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the best festivals on the circuit. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you just get treated so well and you're, mm. every, everyone's really thoughtful and he always tries to make it the best situation that he can, even though sometimes you're performing next to a really loud band. Well, the bands, what can he do? It's like, why? You can tell them 6,000 times to turn it down, but. Yeah. But you guys, you were involved really early on, and I feel like you you had a big, you and Kiki both were really impactful in in giving the advice. And, you know, even though Martin is who he is, he did have people like you to help consult and, and to, you know, improve the festival. And then you brought your tent. Oh, that's uh, right, we did. Yeah, and uh, that, that was something different to, to bring yeah. there. Yeah, so I don't know. I just feel like, you, you know, you're, outside of your contribution as performers, uh, you've contributed as, like, a voice, you know, which is really important. 
Well, that's really nice of you to say that. No, no, that's fine. I'm a bit taken. I've never really thought about it. I go, well, you make friends with people, they ask you for help, you help them a bit. And, sure. you know, I think, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm the best street performer in the world at all or anything like that. I'd like to think most of us are equals, but I think it's easy to make, it's easy to make pictures work. You know, it's easy to make them work. Sometimes you just have to turn them around or move it up a bit, you know, and if you can have a producer like him that's willing to make changes and he's quite happy to make changes yeah. most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. in case any of listen to this, most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and it would be nice to think that more organisers would just get feedback from performers. Yeah. I always find because... the best festivals are the ones that street performers run. Yeah. Well, they know what they need. Yeah. Yeah. I stage managed at Western Australia Circus Festival 2019, is it now? Yeah, because last year I didn't. And I did the big top over the weekend. And, you know, stage managing is not that hard. Well, I don't want to say it's not that hard. It can be really hard, yeah. But it was just really surprising because two of the companies that were came and they were like, you're the best stage manager we've ever had. And it was like, really? Because you guys didn't really need much. I didn't do that much. And there was one bit in the middle of the show, there were six women doing acrobatics and like three highs and stuff like that. And the condensation from the sun going down because it had been a hot day is starting to make the stage get damp and they were just starting to slip everywhere. And I was just like... I just ran and I went to the house and just came back with like 50 towels. I just grabbed as many towels as I could. And that was so good. One of the girl acrobats was like, I'll get on and I'll start doing it. In the middle of the show, she's running across because, yeah, the people could see them sliding. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't, you know, blowing my own horn a bit here, but it just didn't seem that complicated to just go and do that for a company. Right. But then, I, and I think, I don't want to say, because I don't know that much about stage managers at all, stage managing at all, but... It's just about making the performers be able that they can do their show easily, mm-hmm. isn't it? And comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. But I do believe because you are a performer, it changed, you know what they need. Yeah. You know, what maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we go, do you have any, um, and this is, I always, whenever I ask this question, I always think if someone asked me this question, I would have a hard time, but do you have any like, like a story of some kind of crazy thing that happened or like a great thing or a bad, like a worse show or. There's this one crazy one, but it's not about, it was after a show. That's okay. This in Italy. Um, so you get to meet interesting people. That's one of the things I love about street performing. You know, I've just ended up in so many wacky places. And a couple of years ago um, I ended up in it was in Italy in a small village and there'd been a street theatre festival and then the boss of the festival was like, um, oh, there's these extra gigs. Do you want to come and do them? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went and did, we went and did a street show at like a village Italian club. It would be like an Italian club that they have in Melbourne where all the Italian immigrants go and hang out in, but it was in Italy. Okay. So I did this show and then the man was just so happy. So Thomas is the, who organises the festival and we've worked for him a few times and he's our age and he's a performer. And um, his dad performed in Linz like 40 years ago, the first year Linz ever happened or something. Wow. So he really loves street performers. And um, he, he does fire shows. 
So he said, what we'll do is Amelia does 15 minutes, Kiki does 15, and then I'll do a bit of fire at the end, you know, and do this show. And so the old man that runs this club was just so happy. He's like, Spain, Italy, Australia, in one place. And he went and got, he had all the flags of the world, so he's getting out all these giant flags to put up behind us to do the show. <laughs> and then at the end he came out and he was an Olympian. He was like a downhill skier Olympian. And anyway, he just loved me. He just loved me. He just followed me around and spoke Italian the whole time. I didn't really understand much. You know, I learned Italian at school and speak Spanish and so I can, you know, get by a little bit. But he gave me, he was like, you're so beautiful and your show was so good. I've got a present for you. Oh, boy. And he gave me an Olympic medal. What? <laughs> he gave me someone's Olympic medal, like, <laughs> from, like, 1970. Like, one's not his own. His big <clears throat> it had a woman's name it, I can't exactly ex- describe what it was he just and then he hung it around me so there's all these photos of me with the guy with the flags I've got this thing <laughs> and I've still got it and Noah's got it somewhere she plays with it all the time yeah and um I was just so taken by him the whole night he just followed me around all night he was like 88 or something yeah right and he was just so proud <laughs> of the in his little club he'd had this international festival What's another one? There was another time that I got this big bag, like 20 boxes of perfume from this man that had to give me an apology on behalf of his country. What? In Oman, in the Middle East. What? So in Oman, years ago, I went on this gig. It was the famous gig, the first time Stuart got the contract, and I think it was 14 days. And it was like this big Oman festival in this big park and then there's this street performer bit. So it was all guys and me. And there was one other woman, which was Miguel Rubio, who does the fire shows. His girlfriend was doing fire with him. So it was her and me. And then I think there was about 11 other guys. Herbie was there. Kiki was there. Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. yeah, heaps of people. Um, Pop was there doing the balloons. He nearly got arrested because he wore a kilt the first day. <laughs> And so we rock up with Andy to this, they've made us a stage. It wasn't a high stage. It was just like this. Mm-hmm. Then um, we turned up and they had a fence up and then they had seats over there and seats over there with this big passage in the middle and a fence in the middle. Everyone's like, oh, we're street performers. We're street performers. We can't have the chairs. We can't have the chairs. And the organisation's like going, we need the chairs. And we're like, we can't have the chairs. And then Andy's like, okay, let's see what we can do. And they got rid of the chairs and they got rid of the fences and I was the first one to go out and perform because I'd do the first one after prayer <laughs> and went out. And um, the chairs and the, by the the fences are because in Oman women sit on one side and men sit on the other. They don't segregate. They segregate it. Mm-hmm. So I went out for my first show and it's just men, just men, because all the women. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't come watch. <laughs> just me and like 500, not 500, 200 Muslim men going, Whoa! That's a woman. Everything I did. A white woman. Yeah. Anyway, not all the shows were bad, but don't, you know, you can have ups and downs in those places. But I think it was the second last night or the last night I was doing the, sort of my show. Was It was a weird gig, yeah, and I just ended up with all these men and um, I did the best I could. I still got three volunteers out and I sort of worked it out and did what I could and 
Then this last day I looked up and these guys had grabbed the hula hoops and they're just like tossing them at me and then this other guy's giving them out to the other guy and they're all rolling them towards me, <laughs> doing all this stuff. And I just cracked it. I just cracked it. I just cracked it. And I'm like, stop the show, grabbed all my stuff. I was nearly crying. <laughs> they just turned I just the walked, I, just, I just left. <laughs> And then I was in the you know, change room feeling pretty low about it. I was like, I should have controlled myself. I shouldn't have done that. And then, you know, Herbie's like, they were throwing your stuff at you, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you're allowed to, like, not do it. Yeah. And then the organisers came who the whole time, you know, we'd sort of been not in conflict with the organisers, but we're from different worlds. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, one of the organisers' um, prayer time was just before I went on. And they'd started coming in and we're doing prayers in our change room, like when I was getting ready. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> Andy was like, can you go to your mosque over there? This isn't cool, guys. Yeah, like, yeah. They're like doing this <laughs> and looking under their arms. <laughs> it was a really, like, I laugh because, you know, they're fun. I never felt unsafe. They're just funny gigs. Yeah. And then um, so I'm sort of there going, I can't believe I did you know, my last show and I cracked it and didn't finish it and... Um, you know, most street performers know that feeling of when you fail the show. I don't yeah. know. I beat myself yeah. up pretty hard over it. And then the boss walks in with the guy <laughs> that had been grabbing the hoops and, you know, um, throwing them around. And he had to give me a formal apology on behalf of the country because I was an invited guest to the country. Wow. And he said to me, um, it really changed my perception of, you know, when people behave badly in the audience. And he said something along the lines of, um, I've never seen anything like what you did today. I've never seen someone doing a show like that. And you were just doing all these jokes and messing around and just having fun. I just decided to have fun too. Uh And I just joined in and, you know, maybe it carried on too far and I apologise and that. And and then I felt bad because it was like, you know, he's never seen anyone do this. He doesn't yeah. understand the context. He doesn't, you know, I'm all, it's, you know. He how to behave. He's just yeah. reacting naturally, but he doesn't realise that that's, he's, yeah, he's crossed the line. Yeah. Wow. And then he said, um, and this is all for you, and gave me, like, this big bag of, like, cheap Arabian perfume, like 20 battle boxes of them. And I'm like, really? I'm flying out tomorrow. I don't need them. He's like, you have to accept them. You're in Oman now. You can't not accept the present. <laughs> so I got all this. I had all this perfume. Oh my god, that's amazing. Um, that I gave to like we had um service departments, so I gave them to the people that have been cleaning the apartments. Yeah. I think dynamite took some bottles as well, because you know <laughs> why not? So I don't give them to someone. But that was a funny story, and it really touched me to think that you know he shouldn't have been doing it, but then you can't go in assuming that they understand what we're doing either, especially sure. in a culture so different. And, yeah. Yeah. I always feel like when we're out there, this, you know, Stuart from Gotham Creative, all these books, you know, all these gigs out in the Middle East and, and, and in South Africa he's done. And, but I feel like, like I've, I've done the stuff in the Middle East. I always feel like when we're out there, it's like we're kind of educating the audience. Yeah. And by the end of the gig, they, they've gotten it, you know, but the beginning, even, even each show, it feels like the start of the show, they have no idea what's happening. By the end, you've got them. But then you have to do another show and it's like you're starting all over again. Yeah. You know, because they have no context for what, what we're doing. But it's yeah, really yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. to be able to bring, bring the street theater culture to these places that have never had it before. Yeah. I love working out there. It can be a real challenge, but 
yeah. it can be really fun. Also, because they haven't seen it, they're not so jaded. They're yeah. not like, Ugh. yeah, the reactions are and, um, honest. You know, I've had you know obviously issues being a woman there at times. Not big issues, but um, I definitely feel I was there last year. Were you there last year too? Someone in Sharjah? No, oh, yeah, I was in Sharjah a year ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A year we, ago, we crossed over. Yeah, we for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Sharjah, you know, the first few days I was like, oh gosh, dung 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 dung. But then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm you know, I was like, I just felt. You know, compared to when I was there 10 years ago, I just felt like with my age and the jokes I was making, I was sort of making jokes sort of about menopause and stuff like that. Not saying menopause, but like talking to the women and that and the middle age and, you know, the bodies and that. And it actually was working really well wow. because, again, it's like one thing we all have in common is middle age. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. all going to go through that. Yeah. Um, and I actually, by the end of it, I felt quite like... I just felt like I tapped into something there and yeah, it was, yeah, they were getting me a bit more and getting those sort of jokes and. Yeah. So um, interesting doing those shows. Yeah. I just, I, Amy just sent me a text message. Let me know when you're done. I have to, so I have to, <laughs> I have to give her, her her zoom back so she can teach her kids. Okay. Um, but it was great. It was really great talking to you. I'm glad we can uh, make this happen. It's nice to have you um, and hear your stories. Well, thanks for choosing me. I hope they're okay. I'll get all self-conscious now. About... No, everything is great. It was great. It was great to learn about your, your, I had no idea you were a dancer and you rode horses. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for all your work in Edinburgh with Hazel and all the stuff you guys are doing there. Oh, it's, it's okay. It's fine. It re- you know, I just think if we could go back to 2022, with one of the most important street theatre festivals in the world working properly. Yeah. I think someone has to do it. Yeah. Because it has to. I, I worry. Sorry, I know you need to go, but I do worry. It's like if something as big as Edinburgh falls off the cliff, it could be a domino effect worldwide of people yeah. just giving up and, you know, what do we do if we don't have, <laughs> people can't watch a show in the street? I know. I don't know. Well, we just got to stay positive and hope things get back. You know, I mean, Australia's doing stuff. New Zealand's doing stuff. So I think it's possible that we'll all be back. Yeah. At festivals hanging out with each other again t- soon, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. In the stinking change rooms. Yep. <laughs> all right, Amelia, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me speak to you. And, yeah. Um, take care. Yeah, hope to oh, see you. I feel like I can never hang up now. You have to hang up. Okay, I'll, don't worry. I'll, <laughs> I'll hang up. Head over to the Busker Hall of Fame website where you'll find a link in the episode notes to this interview that you can watch on our YouTube channel. As always, if you'd like to support the podcast and show off the cool new design, check out our online store where you'll find t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. Speaking of supporting the podcast, you can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of the project at patreon.com forward slash busker stories. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a five-star review. It'll help get us noticed, and we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed, or you feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can. It's up to you to help fill in the gaps. So on behalf of myself... 
Kim Potter, who edited this episode, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening. Yeah.